Welcome to the Poultry Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Hear engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Poultry Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve poultry health, welfare, performance, and food safety. Hello there, my name is Caroline Stocks. I'm the Managing Editor of Poultry Health Today. And with me is Daryl Jackwood, who's a professor at Ohio State University. Daryl, thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome. Now your poster at the AAAP conference was looking at pathogenicity of infectious bursal disease viruses isolated from commercial poultry with immune suppression related disease. In layman's terms, very briefly, can you just explain a little bit about what that means? Sure, what we're looking at is the viruses that we're detecting in the field using our molecular assay. Um, So we'll get samples coming in from um, field cases where they're concerned that there may be immune suppression. And then when we test those using our molecular diagnostic assay and identify infectious bursal disease viruses, the question that next becomes is, are these the viruses that are actually causing the disease that we're seeing in the field? And that's the question we wanted to answer. You and your colleagues determined the pathogenicity of seven new infectious bursal disease isolates. Where were those isolates from? So those isolates were from all over, um, primarily from um, Pennsylvania and Ohio, but there were some other ones that were um, from outside of the state, from again, the Midwest, the Southeast. Um, I think there was one from California. Were those isolates from broiler flocks or pullet flocks? They were from a combination of both broilers and pullet flocks, but primarily broiler flocks. And did those flocks have signs of infectious bursal disease? Yes, all the flocks did have some sort of sign of infectious bursal disease, and that was primarily a a difference that they saw in their performance. So feed efficiency, feed um, gain, the um, uh, flocks maybe were uh, um, different sized birds um, in the same flock. And so it was primarily performance related, but there were some signs that there was immune suppression also with some enteric disease and maybe some respiratory disease. When we looked at the bursa in these birds, um, they were always uh, had some sort of a lesion there. It was either very small bursa or there was some sort of a a gross lesion in the bursa. So initially the the, um, uh, thought was that this was infectious bursal disease virus rather than any other type of agent that might cause uh, immune suppression. Plus the birds were relatively young, um, somewhere between um, 14 and 35 days of age. So to test the new isolates for pathogenicity, you used specific pathogen-free birds and compared their impact to that from a known pathogen isolate from Georgia. What was that isolate? So that virus from Georgia is one that we isolated a number of years ago. It's been very well characterized. In other words, we've put it into SPF chickens many, many times as a positive control. Uh, It causes a uh, reduction in the number of lymphocytes in the bursa and causes a... a, um, severe immune suppression in the birds. Um, That particular virus became of interest to us because the vaccines that were being used in those flocks in Georgia were not working against this particular strain. It was breaking through maternal immunity, it was breaking through the active immunity in those those flocks. And so that's why we chose that virus to study further 
And it's one that we used in this study because it has been so well characterized as an as a immunosuppressive variant type virus. So what did you learn from the comparisons that you did? Well, what we found, which was quite interesting to us, was that the bursts of material that we got uh, all had relatively high quantities of viral genome in it. Um, that's an indication of the viral load, the amount of virus that might be there. Now, the genome doesn't necessarily mean that that virus is um, uh, infectious and able to cause disease, but it is a very good correlation with the amount of virus load that might be in those samples. So across all seven isolates that we tested, the CT values, as we call them, cycle threshold values, were all very similar. There was no significant difference between them, indicating that the amount of virus in those tissues should be about the same. But yet when we put those into specific pathogen-free birds, which had no antibodies, no immunity to the virus, um, there were two of them that we saw delayed response in that we didn't really see much in the way of histopathologic lesions and bursa body weight ratio changes after four days of age. But by seven days of age, all the viruses were showing us a, a very significant decrease in the lymphocytes by histopathology Bursa body weight ratios were significantly different than the controls, and certainly a, a severe immune suppression would have resulted from that in those birds. So the unique part about this, or the things that we were a little bit um, surprised about, was at four days that some of these viruses were not yet causing the amount of, of uh, lesions or damage that we would have expected that the other ones were causing. So that to us meant that if you're going to do a study like this to study the pathogenicity of these, these isolates in SPF birds, uh, you really need to, to take samples at multiple times beyond the four-day period so that you can see that there is actually some damage occurring because otherwise we would, have, we would have concluded that two of the isolates were not pathogenic, but in fact, they, they really were. So were all of the, um, the seven pathogenic in the end? Yes, they all were. They all were. And, and the histopathology indicated to us that, that most of the lymphocytes in the bursa were gone, so that these would have been very severely um, immunosuppressive viruses. So in the end, our sequencing, our molecular diagnostics and our sequencing would have predicted that. And so it, it seemed to correlate very well with what we were getting uh, in when we did the in vivo study. So how can these findings be applied into the field then? And so oftentimes as we do these diagnostics, um, we don't have time to follow up with in vivo studies to determine whether these viruses are, are pathogenic or not. But there are some amino acid markers that we have identified that seem to correlate very highly or very well with pathogenicity of these viruses. And in this case, those, those markers, those amino acid markers in, in viral protein number two, did correlate with the pathogenicity of each one of these isolates as we would have predicted that, that they would have been pathogenic based on those sequences. So with these variant viruses, it seems that the amino acid sequences that we're seeing in VP2 correlate very well with their ability to cause immune suppression in the, in the flock. So I think as we see more and more of these samples and can try and do more and more in vivo studies, that you know we'll be able to um, uh, show this more clearly, but as of right now, it looks as though the, the molecular diagnostics is correlating very well with pathogenicity in the variant strains that we're seeing here. Okay. 
So looking more generally now to um, IBD around, around the US, are you seeing any significant changes um, in the disease amongst US flocks? The mutations that we see in the Southeast are different than what we see here in the Midwest. Uh, the mutations that we're seeing in California are different than we're seeing in other places. And so what we're finding is that a vaccine strategy that may be working very well for, for broiler farms in Georgia doesn't work so well for broiler farms in California because they're dealing with different field viruses that have different sequences. And so, yes, there are some mutations that have come, came up um, uh, here within the last five or six years. That has been, they've been very unique from a standpoint that we haven't really seen those combinations of mutations in viruses before. The other thing we've seen recently in our diagnostic studies is um, the very virulent viruses that we see uh, in California and Washington State, basically on the West Coast, are now starting to show up in some other places. But if we can get some maternal immunity in these birds that are protecting against these mutated field viruses, that's the first big step to controlling them. Um, and that's really done with autogenous vaccines in the, uh, in the flocks at this point. Thanks for listening to the Poultry Health Today podcast. To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting poultryhealthtoday.com slash join.